I want us to be aware of what God's doing in this house. I believe God's moving. While I was delayed coming in, I, I went back. I felt like I needed to go grab the word of the Lord from Sunday morning. And so I was in there writing as fast as I could. And I think I got just about all of it except the last maybe few stanzas of it. But you'll get the gist of it. But I want you to hear what God said if you didn't hear it Sunday morning. The Lord would say, I've come into this place and I am no longer come or have I ever come as a visitor. You use the term visitation and I expect you to drop that term for I do not come in a visitation. I have come to inhabit. I have come to occupy. I have come to be in you and with you forever. I do not visit you. You do not invite me. You did not invite me. I came at my own will and choosing, and I walked into this place as an inhabitor. I did not come to participate with you in your religious activities. I've come to overtake you with my power. I did not come to participate in your stuff. I came to lead you in my way. I didn't come here to make a friend. I come here to be a king. I didn't come to ask your opinion. I come to deliver my edict and command. I'm not here as somebody who just serves you. I'm here to be the soon coming king who walks in you and for you. I'm here to deliver you out of every aspect of darkness and walk you into my way. I have not come to this place to pat you on the back, to make you feel good or stroke your egos. I have come to grab you by the hand and walk you out of, out of your cell of prison of death and walk you in to my eternal life. I have come that I can, I, can, uh, I can bring you to the fullness of everything that I am and carrying you into the glory I have prepared. Even now, I'm bringing you into that place. If you reach out your hand and let me take it, I will walk you through it, out of it, and, and I will lead you into, any, into it, to all my promise. It is, you, it is your time to walk with me, and it's my time to be your king. It's time for you to turn and remove your heart from any form of wickedness. It's time for my body to separate themselves from the things of this world and turn and seek after my righteousness and goodness. I have called you for such a time as this, and I have made you, and I had to stop right there, but basically what he's saying, I am making you, I'm going to take you by my hand, and I'm going to make you my glory, and I'm going to reveal myself through you everywhere you go, every day. That's his promise. Hallelujah. You receive, I believe that's a word from God. Now, it's very important that we hear those things. What God is saying and what God is doing in this house. I believe what I declare up there. That revival and awakening is here. I want to say, and I'm just going to throw this in right now. Thank all of you that were here helping us last night. Whether you were serving or just participating in the meeting. We had a great time last night. We had, we had brand new people up. I had two, we had two pastors. I, we had two pastors come up all the way from Arkansas to be here with us, drove two and a half hours to be in this place. 
They've heard about what we're doing for some time, but just came up. One of them messaged me today and said, Brother, I was so blessed to be in the place and so blessed to be a part of what God is doing as he's connecting the body of Christ. Another pastor messaged me today, said, me and my wife, we are so refreshed when we leave there by being in the presence of other leaders and being a part of what God is doing through our region. So I want you to know God is moving and he's doing something great. Matter of fact, Diane got a call the other day or talked to a lady that was here. I shared this last night, but for you that weren't here, that was baptized recently, correct me if I'm getting it wrong. She said when she come up out of the water, the spirit or the, the hold of nicotine was broke off of her. She's not smoking. Hallelujah. Not only that, she had a knee problem and God healed her knee. After she come out of baptism, I'm telling you, God is doing great things. On Easter Sunday, the last two that we baptized, I don't even know what their name was, born again Easter Sunday and entered into the waters of baptism the same day. Somebody else called me, or Miss Piedad, she's not here tonight. She said, I've got another family, the family that the little boy was healed. They want to be baptized this coming week. So we're going to baptize four more after the end of the service Sunday. The family wants to be baptized. God's doing some incredible, incredible things. And, I, 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 and I'm asking the Lord this. It's not about Lord come. I'm not even asking for revival anymore. I'm just asking, what do you want us to do? My brother Bobby, I chatted with him today, just came from one of the big district meetings of the assemblies that they're a part of. Uh, I, he called me on the way home from it. I said, Bob, he said, man, we had a powerful meeting. I said, well, what is God saying? What is the Lord saying? He said, well, we, they, it was in, it's unusual. He said, I think we're all saying the same thing. He said, they had two ladies speak this time, two ladies that are high-ranking, I guess, somehow in the assemblies of whatever. One of them was a Spanish lady, and she said, this was the word of the Lord, that there is a must in this time for discipleship. She said, we're going to have to disciple the new believers and those that are coming in. But another word from the other one was this, we've got to yield more to the Holy Ghost. Know that he's moving, but yield to him. Have plan, but let him alter it. Hello. We don't come in without plan or praying or prepared, but we're, but we're saying, Holy Ghost, this is your meeting. And I found myself even crying out, God, I want to see you in a more tangible, a more tangible way that Donnie can't doubt no more. Not that Donnie doubts but that nobody can doubt his presence. Either it'll draw you to him or it'll run you out the door. Because I really believe that's what happens when the glory shows up. It'll either draw you in or it'll scare the... And you, you'll exit the place because you can't handle... I've been in here at prayer times myself, Miss Joni, where the presence of God got so real and got so thick. And I'd been praying for a while. I thought, it's not good for me to be here, so I'm out. Seriously. Uh, there's been no, and I know y'all are holier than I am. Y'all don't have all the sin in your life, so y'all would stay right there. But when, Jer when John saw him on the Isle of Patmos, it grabbed him. He said, I fell as one dead. Because it was that overwhelming. But that's what I'm praying for. And I believe that we have to have 
that if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you I had a, had a luncheon with a, a brother by the name of Michael Livengood that's been a revivalist for many, many years. And he wrote a book. Actually, he brought it to me. We chatted about revival and about the move of God. And he gave us different stages of, of revival. And one of those stages, he had little things like, oh, and ow, and ouch, and all that. And I'll put it in my terms. One of them is when revival begins, it's just that there is an awareness, one, of God moving. Well, I think we can all agree that it's God moving. Then the second thing that happens, God starts manifesting. In other words, there's healing, miracles, things begin to take place. But we don't understand the third part of that. He said it never fails that God starts dealing with the saints. He starts putting his hand and he starts bringing personal cleansing to the church. Now, I like all the other stuff. Just leave that part alone. You know it. We are all that way. And then he said, once we get through that stage, then all of a sudden we have a, oh, this is what this is all about. Our purpose of, of, of the move of God becomes more real. And then it leads us into the fifth stage where it's just full-blown, I mean God going at it. Harvest is coming in and many things are happening. A few weeks ago, the first of March, when Prophet Aguilar was here, he prophesied over this church and he talked about the fire of God upon the altar. That was his message that he brought into this house. And if I remember right, he talked about the fire being hotter, seven times hotter than even the furnace that the three Hebrew children were, were thrown into. But he also said it's our responsibility to keep the fire upon the altar. And it wasn't but a few days after that that I, I saw something about how to keep the fire on the altar. And it's three things that we're going to have to deal with. One is repentance. Pastor dealt with this strongly Sunday morning. We're not going at anybody. If you're paying attention to what God is saying, he's speaking to the church. I've been preaching things. I'm thinking, man, God, I hope, you, you know, we're, what God is speaking to us right now, that's come up a lot in the last few weeks. And we've got this idea that repentance is just having a change of mind. Well, that is true. But real repentance is that we recognize, wait a minute, we've missed the mark. And I have sinned. But I just didn't do something wrong. I sinned against God. And real repentance brings us to the altar to say, God, I have sinned against you. Here's the second thing that, that has to, to keep the fire on the altar. We're going to have to talk about the blood. We're going to have to preach the blood and get back to where the blood of Jesus is everything that I can't do without the blood. And then the third thing of that is this. It's the Word of God. We've got to have a desire for the Word of God. It's got to be a must, not just something I read to, oh, I'm going to learn something. No, I, God, your Word is life. Your Word is everything. Then Brother Livengood gave me Five keys to revival that I believe are true to keep it burning, keep it glowing. Number one is hunger. I got to ask you, how hungry are you? How hungry are you? Sometimes I don't think we're hungry at all. Being very honest. We say we are, but I don't think we are. But hunger is something that to revive. If you don't want it, God isn't going to waste his time. I really believe that. He's not, he'll just pass us by, Miss Judy. If we're not, not going to hunger for the things of God. Now, that's not condemning anybody, 
But I believe the moment of what the whole church world in is really we're in a moment that God is revealing His church. His true followers, His true believers. Second thing in that is holiness. It's a key to revival. Holiness. Now keep in mind, we got to understand what holiness is. If you come up like I did, you've heard me talk about that. Holiness just means other than. I'm separated from this world. That was part of the word that Pastor Val gave Sunday morning. That God said, I'm calling you to separate yourselves from this world. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. I'm not supposed to be adapting to a culture, but I'm supposed to be transforming a culture. And supposed to be living right. And it's amazing how many people come to church in sin and have become comfortable sitting in the house of God. And we have it right here. It bothers me. It bothers me that I don't have enough convicting power working through me that it changes that. But it should. It should. Here's the third thing. is the desire for His presence. God, I don't want to be entertained. I want to feel your presence. I want to come into your presence. It's not about how high we get it in here. Because we can be up here and just be entertained. Do you ever notice this? If you go to the river, the roughest spots of the river are where you see rapids and such as that. We think that's the high spot. That's the shallow parts of the water. And the deep parts of the river, they're, they're, you don't see a lot of activity on top. So, but we've got to understand, we've got to find where presence is. And it may be here today, here tomorrow, or all over the place. But it's got to be the desire of a heart. God, you're, I want your presence. I, I want to feel after you. David said it like this. This one thing have I desired that I may seek after, that I can dwell in your courts. And behold your beauty, God, all the days of my life. That was his desire. The fourth thing. The fourth thing is walking in humility. Man, God isn't going to let our egos get in the way this time. If we're going to, I, I told you about being at Free Chapel Sunday morning. I think I did. No, I didn't because y'all weren't here. I wasn't here. Sorry, I told that last night. But, but you know, if y'all never been to Free Chapel, if you ever get to Georgia, Atlanta, you're in the area, go to Gainesville and go visit. I really believe this. Go visit Pastor Jensen Franklin's church, Free Chapel. And I went in Sunday morning. I sat in the back. And I'm telling you, the moment I entered in, tears began. I mean, I, I was just overwhelmed for a few moments. Not by the crowd, not by anything in there. I was overwhelmed by the presence of God. And I have gone, me and Diane have had the privilege, like some of you, to go to some of the biggest ministries in the nation. And I've not felt that there. I really didn't. I, it, you're, you, you feel, but, but you know, you're pushed and pressed and all. But I mean from the get-go. And they haven't sang, they haven't done anything yet. But just entered that building. And nobody had to tell them to stand and worship. Those guys just got into the presence of God. They didn't take all day. They only actually done three songs. And Brother Jensen, I guess, missed his cue. And he stepped into it before he really would have come up there. But the presence of God was in the place. And I'm watching this house with thousands of people with their hands lifted high. I'm watching people around me worshiping God passionately in the presence of the Lord. And Brother Jensen gets up there and he begins with that beautiful sax and playing it only the way he can. I think he began to play that song. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. 
Of course, somebody ran to the back and brought him some words, so he thought he didn't know the song. He said, listen, I snore with those songs. You're the guys that need to learn this. Talking about the young generation that didn't know. But then I watched person after person being baptized in water and shared their testimony that morning. I just knew I was empty. I was dry. My life was going in nowhere. I was on the wrong way. I was on the wrong track. And I came here and I found Jesus. And I've come to follow him completely and fully. Man, I'm telling you, there is such a place where humility, and I asked, I I told my daughter-in-law on the way, I I told her, I'm still on humility, that's what I'm talking about. I said, you know what, nobody was up there blowing Jensen Franklin's horn. Nobody was saying, look how wonderful, I didn't feel that from anybody. Their worship leader, their worship leader of their church, if y'all remember about, what was it, five, six years ago? On a New Year's Eve night, Kent Henry was here. My son Chad brought his friends up. And, and Jonathan Atium and several of them were here doing worship that night. And Kent Henry had a word over here. And God told him he was going to do all of this with him. And now he's leading worship on one of the greatest platforms of the nation. And being seen all over the world, I take the credit, it started right here on our platform. <laughs> Hello. But you know what? I know, I know. Humility. (laughs) But but think about this for a moment. Nobody was tooting his horn. He wasn't trying to impress anybody. Matter of fact, he didn't lead every song. He didn't do it. There were different people. You didn't know who. Nobody took center stage in the highlight. People just entered into the worship. Humility was there. The same thing happens with Brother Jensen. He comes out. He's not trying to sell himself or anything, but he just simply comes out and he presents the gospel and his love for Jesus, his love for people. I'm telling you, humility is everything. We've got to get, listen, God said this. You've got to get your egos now. I know when you hear words, he cannot be talking to me. See, that's the way all of it, he has to be talking to Amanda because he sure ain't talking to me. Or he's talking to this one or that one. I believe in this moment of time, all of us need to say, Lord, is my ego in the way here? Is my, and the last thing finally is, is a desire for harvest. Because that's God's desire. And that's really what revival is all about. It's not to give you and I a new good time and good night. I'm not even where I need to be yet. But this is good stuff. And it leads me to where I'm at tonight. It leads me for just a few moments. I had an encounter today. It shouldn't be an encounter. It wasn't a God encounter. It was just an encounter with an individual. And I kept hearing this yesterday and, and today. And it just rang more true to me. And the question is, we're going to have to, in this hour, to know what is truth. What is truth? I was at the chiropractor uh, that I see, and they've been working on me for a number of years. And Dr. Jared sent me to have a little young lady do an ultrasound on my neck, and he does that periodically. So I'm just sitting in a room with her while she's doing that little thing over my neck, and that feels pretty good, to be honest. And uh, I, she said, where are you pastor at? Because they call me Pastor Zach there. She said, where are you pastor? I told her I passed her here where we were. And, uh, you know, just kind of just let her do her thing. And I got quiet. Then I asked her, I said, well, do you go to church anywhere? 
And then she got real quiet. Or I asked her first where she lived. She said, I live in Jackson. I said, oh, do you go to church there? And then she said, no, I know it's bad, but I don't go. And she said that too. I, I know that's bad, but I don't go. She's 18 years old. I know it's bad, but I don't go. Then she tried to, I guess, justify why she wasn't going. Well, you know, my dad is a contractor, and we were doing a job on Sunday together building somebody's porch. So I thought, okay, dad don't go. And then she turns and she speaks this to me. She says, but I believe, notice how she said it, I, can, I believe that you can be a great Christian and not go to church. That's what I thought, Michael. <laughs> no, those were her words. I, I was talking with uh, Kelsey here yesterday. We were chatting for a few moments. And she brought a new term to me that I haven't heard. And I think I got it a little wrong last night, but it's in the neighborhood. It's called deconstruction faith. Deconstruction faith. I thought, okay, what is this all about? So the term is, for the culture and the generation, is where you're being biblical, you're getting into the Bible, but you're looking at everything to see really what you want to believe and where you're going to draw your belief from. Because we have a culture that right now that doesn't know what they believe. And the reason some of the things that are going on even in the church is because the church has lost its way of what truth is. So I've been asking this question, Miss Vicky. I kept asking, Lord, what is truth? If we're going to preach something, we've got to know. If we're going to disciple people, we've got to know what the truth is. But we've got to look at truth not from a Western mindset, but from an Eastern mindset, from what the Bible was wrote at. Because, you know, uh, truth can be anything. Well, this is my truth. I've got a niece right now that's really messed up in her theology, but it's her truth. You've got a culture that says, this is my truth. This is how I see God. This is what I believe. But is it truth? All through the book of John, Jesus deals with truth. Matter of fact, it's safe time, and i got to do this real quickly. You remember Jesus is in that horrific night in John chapter 18. And he goes from Caiaphas' hall to Pilate's hall. And they send him to Pilate. Pilate doesn't really know why he's there. What do you come for? Why did y'all bring him here? And Pilate deals with something. He talks to Jesus because they said, we're bringing him. We can't, we can't crucify him, but you can. You can take care of this. And so Pilate's questioning you want me to kill this guy that belongs to you. I'm not even of you guys. And then he says something like this in John chapter 18. And Pilate, Jesus answered him, well, verse 33. Then Pilate entered the, uh, the, the governor's hall again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? I couldn't say that word, so that's why I said it means the governor's hall. I couldn't. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. <laughs> and then Jesus answered and said, speaking 
He said, are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. And if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come in the world. Listen to what he says, that I should bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now look at Pilate's response. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Jesus said, I've come to reveal truth. I've come to make truth known. But Pilate is answering, then what is truth? So if we look from a Hebrew perspective, an Eastern mindset, this is a definition of truth. It means genuineness. It means that which is authentic and sincere. It also means faithfulness. And it also means stability. That's truth. But where did truth come from? Because it comes from the Hebrew word emit. Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega. Now, I can believe something, but why do I believe what I believe? I've been taught at now 63, how old am I? 63. 63 years. All of my life, there's been certain things that I have been taught. There have been things that I have received on my own. Like Paul said, I have received of the Lord. But there's been many things I have been taught. And whether they were right or wrong, it has become my truth. Now, I do believe there's a time that we need to visit religion versus truth. And some things need to be deconstructed because if you've been taught all your life that Jesus doesn't heal then that needs to be gotten out. Or if you've been taught all your life that in order to be holy, you had to, you know, you couldn't do this or you couldn't do that, some of that might need to be moved because it's just religious activity and it's not truth. But where did truth begin? Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, He said, I am the way and I am the truth, and I am the life. Now listen to how we say that. Jesus said, I am. I'm it. I'm the way into everything that is good, wholesome, prosperous, blessed, whatever. He said, I'm the way. And then he turns, and we could say it like this, I am truth. And then he says, I am, I'm the way, the truth, and I am the very life itself. So if you want to know what living is, it all starts with God. That's the only place that we're really going to find truth. Now, I can have my opinion, but God said, I'm not after your opinion. I'm bringing you into my way. He didn't know why I'm going to preach this. That's why I had to go in there and write all that stuff down. 
But he said, listen, I'm not after your opinion. I'm trying to bring you into my way. So really to understand truth, if you talk to a Hebrew, you know how they would think the Torah. The first five books of the Bible, which are called the Torah, which was given to them as the law of God that revealed God and revealed His will for the people, they, they would, they, that is God. That's their truth. That's why He said in Deuteronomy, I believe it's chapter 6, He said, you will teach your children. What was He teaching them? Torah. He said, you're going to teach your children you're going you're gonna to speak of it at night. You're going to speak of it when you get up. You're going to make it as frontlets for your eyes. You're going to brand it upon your head and upon your arms. And you're not going to turn from it to the left or to the right because it's your life. It's truth. Not opinion. Not what feels good. Not what feels right. It was truth. Truth originated in the beginning. That's why Jesus said in Revelation, I am Alpha and Omega. I'm beginning and end. Now keep in mind, he's using the Hebrew and Greek alphabet. The letters. I'm Alpha, beginning, that's the first letter of the Hebrew and the Greek alphabet, and I am Omega. That Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. The Ta, I believe it's Tav, is the last letter of the Hebrew, which is meaning is the same thing. But not only were they, not only was he the beginning and end, but you have to understand, you and I see letters as A, B, C, D, and such as that. They were pictures that spoke of an action. So when God gave them language and gave them understanding, he gave them an action. My action is how you live. And all of it was about his design of how he planned for us to live. You understand that? It was a picture of how to live. So let's go to the place I love to go. I believe if you only had the first three books of the Bible, you wouldn't need anything else because all of it's in that first three. So God creates man. And he made him in his image and likeness. And God downloaded himself into Adam. And Adam walked in truth. Everything that was given was truth. And so Adam knew how to live. To be blessed, to be prosperous. Everything in the earth. Listen, the earth wasn't blessed. God, when he created the earth, God said it was good. He said it was good. And the reason it was good, it had the ability to keep producing and keep expanding and keep multiplying because everything that is living keeps producing itself. Hello? So when God saw that it was good, you've heard me say this, what was God comparing good to? Now in a little bit, I'm going to probably go eat some. And I'll make a determination, whatever I eat, whether it's going to be good or bad. But how am I going to, what am I going to make that determination of? Not but what I'm eating at the moment, but what I've already had that was good. I'm really comparing. But God, how did he compare it? God said, when he said it was good, he was saying, this is exactly how I designed it to be and what I have intended for it. It's all there. And God just said to the earth, it's good. But when he created Adam, he blessed him. This is something you need to grab hold of. 
Because we're chasing blessing, and God said, I've already blessed you. You said it last night as I asked a question over the area, what's one of the needs? We don't know who we are. So if we knew who we are, we would quit chasing blessing and start blessing so that blessings chase us. I was listening to Rodney Brown at Ted Shuttlesworth camp meeting a while ago. He was saying that very thing as we were coming. He said, listen, I don't, I don't go chasing blessing. I've got blessings chasing me. He said, everywhere I go, it's chasing me because I'm blessed. So Adam was already blessed. He's operating like God. You open your mouth, you speak, you declare what I'm doing. He said, everything will be blessed. The only thing that he said, don't touch the tree that's in the midst of the garden or you'll die. So where where was the truth at? It was in the way Adam was called to live. Now, how did we get to this spot where we are in our society and culture? I believe one of the things that we've done, we have quit declaring and living truth. And we're living our opinions. And this is why discipleship is so important. Because how did God intend it? Are you okay? Am I making sense anything? I hope I am. Because I... I mean, this just stuff keeps rolling me all day. So here's what Adam, when did Eve get the truth? Did she get downloaded by God or did Adam instill it into her? He's showing us a picture of how his, how his house, how his family's to work. It would have been handed from Adam to his wife, which is a picture that you, Father, teach your family. And fathers quit being fathers, and we quit teaching our families. You remember the young girl I talked to, 18? You know why church wasn't any value to her? Because it wasn't any value to her to father. So she's, got a, she's formed an opinion, trying to be a good person. And many of us, but pastor, you're dealing with the choir. I know it. But if we're going to change our world, we're going to have to pick some things back up and get solid about it. Because if if the things of God are not true to you and you're not living this out, remember, truth isn't just knowledge. Maybe that's a better way to say it. It's not just knowledge. It's not just information. But it is really the essence and the life of God and His actions working through us. And his desire and his will. So if I'm not following him, Jesus was bold enough to say it like this. You're either of your father the devil or you're either of the father of heaven. I mean, that's pretty bold and pretty brash. He said, you're lying, so you're of your father, which is a liar. But if you're going to be of me, you're going to act like me. Because I'm acting just like my father. So it would be handed down. Father, he put it in Adam. Adam put it into Eve. That's how God intended. Listen, it's generational. That's how it's intended for us to live. But we broke the pattern of God. And we quit teaching it. Now we got families that have dysfunctions and everything else. If I could get my children into your youth program, into your children's program, your children will get, my children will get straightened out. May I tell you, we can help you, but we were never called to put your children on the right path. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, we have the responsibility to tell the truth to our children. 
Now, there may come a moment that they've got to make a decision on their own. But from a child, from little, we are to instill the truth into our children. Hello. So now Adam and Eve, but then sin entered in the picture. You know that. And Adam stepped out of the truth. And I brought this to you just two weeks ago. Out of, out of chapter 3 of Genesis. After the curse and I never saw it. Remember God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. But after the fall and after he cursed the serpent and he spoke to Eve and he spoke to Adam. Then God speaks to, to all of heaven. He speaks to the angels. I believe that's who he's really speaking to. And he said, and let us now... Since man has eaten of the tree, they have become like us. Wait a minute, I thought they were already that way. Difference being was, before the fall, Adam knew, in order to live, I'm dependent on him. That was the prerequisite of the tree. That was the, a simple tree marked it. I'm totally dependent. That was the whole essence of all creation, of everything in the planet. God was the one that everything would have to function out of. But when Adam sinned, Adam took on the nature, I can do this on my own. And every one of us deal with the fallen nature of Adam. And you've heard me many times say, you are not a sinner because you do bad things. You are a sinner because Adam failed. And that nature was passed on to all of us. Now we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. Am I going to follow God? God gave him a redeeming moment at that moment for Adam. That Adam, I believe, could, could turn around or he gave him a promise of redemption. But then let's go to Genesis chapter 4. For time's sake, I'm just going to tell the story. Adam and Eve bear and have sons. They have one by the name of Cain, which was a tiller of the ground. And they have one by the, by, by the uh, name of Abel, which was a tender of sheep. And evidently it came time for offering. It must have been a time of feast. An offering was offered. And they brought their offering to the Lord. Let me, I want to read it so that say it just exactly right. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the ground. Now remember, he's a tiller of the ground. But then also Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and of the fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was angry, and his countenance fell. Now listen to what God speaks to him. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance failed? If you do well, will you not be accepted? So, Evidently, mom and dad had taught Cain and Abel truth of what God expected. But somewhere in the journey, Michael, Cain decides, I'm going to think for myself, and I'll give to God what I think I want God to have. And God said, I reject it. Don't think God won't reject us sometime. Hello? He rejected, and he asked him the question. Remember, if God is asking you a question and me a question, he's not asking us for information. He's wanting us to look at where, why are you angry? 
why are you upset with me? We got to ask yourself, everything is falling apart around my life. And you're upset with God. God doesn't bless me. Maybe. Are you walking in truth? Well, I'm giving to God what I want to give. I can make an offering sermon out of that. Hello. I'm going to give. I don't worship him, but everything falls apart around me. I don't go to church the way I should. I don't do what his word tells me. I don't walk with other believers. I'm just this and I'm just that. And then we get all upset. Why God? Why isn't he blessing my life? Because we've stepped out of truth. And we've stepped into ourselves. Jesus said, In John, in the book of John, chapter 8, verse 32, you know this verse real well, and I better land this jet. I may have picked this up in another day because I got myself in a hole here. I just need to go further with it to make it clear. Jesus said this, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, wait a minute. What am I going to be free from? What are we free from? Got to think about that. What was Jesus saying truth would do? I, I think there's a couple things that it would do. First of all, it would keep me free from the guilt of sin if I'm walking in truth. Because if I'm walking in truth, I'm not going to sin, Miss Tanya, if I know the truth. Matter of fact, when the Holy Ghost comes, this is why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, because this is what the Bible, one of the first things it said, He will lead us into all truth. Wait a minute, what does that mean? He's going to bring me a fresh revelation of the word? No. As I go about living and I start stepping away from the truth, he's going to, hey, hey, hey. And he can punch you or nudge you. And if you keep rejecting the nudge, you have to understand something. His nudge will get lighter. He'll, he'll start, he's going to lead us into truth. He's not going to let me stray. Well, I couldn't help myself. Yes, you could, because Holy Ghost already dealt with you. But the more you resist Him, the more you resist that nudge. This is what Paul said. Your conscience becomes seared. Therefore, you're not convicted no more. Hello. That's why people that spent their life in church all of a sudden quit, don't ever come back. It's not that they didn't know better. They, They didn't know truth. Because I don't know where you, you can stay away from church. Sorry, I'm a pastor, and I'm not just trying to have a crowd. But the Word said for us not to forsake ourselves, the assembling of ourselves together. We weren't called to bear our cross alone, but we were supposed to help each other. That's why I need you, and you need me. I need somebody. Hey, I'm being tempted right now. I need you to help me get through this mess. But the more, thank you, Michael, but the more I resist that, see, I become seared, and I no longer fear. So now I've stepped out of truth. So what does it do? It keeps me free from the guilt of sin. Two more things, and that's it out of this. Here's the second thing it does. It sets me free from the bondage of corruption of this world. It'll keep me out of it. It'll keep me free from it. So I want to tell you, sin's sin's a rascal. And you have to understand something. Let's don't misunderstand. It always disguises itself in pleasure and feel good and seems right. Bible even says that sin is pleasurous for a season. It's like the bank robber that robs the bank and gets away with the million dollars. He gets to his hideout. He's counting the bucks. Oh, man, look where I can go. 
for that few moments of time, he's relishing in the fact that he's got a million bucks until they bust down the door and they come and handcuff him and they take what he stole and now he's stripped and he's locked up in a prison cell. Now it's no more pleasurous. But for a moment, for a moment, that's why we can get ourselves into illicit relationships and ungodly places. Don't tell me for a moment that, listen, that that stuff is bad and doesn't feel good and doesn't seem good and doesn't look good. Because if it wasn't, we wouldn't be tempted by it. But it allures us into it until we're trapped. But then once it's trapped us, wow. The wages of sin are, but it'll keep me from corruption. And lastly, it'll free us to be everything and to have all the privileges of being a son. You know what I believe the truth is? Is that you are a son and daughter of God and you just don't know it. That's why I believe, Miss Pam, at baptism. When Jesus come up out of the water, the heavens opened, the dove descended, and the voice of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. I personally believe this. I believe he spoke that to Adam. You're my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Because you're acting like me. When my son went off to college, and I know his nature. He's, my kids have always, I think, been good kids and never given us a problem. But when they get away from mom and dad on their own, that's another world. But I would remind Chad periodically, don't forget who you are. What was I telling? Stay in the truth, son. Stay in the truth. Because something's pulling you out. Then all of a sudden, you take on your truth. Well, I'm a loser. I'm an addict. I'm this. We got to quit saying that stuff because that's not who we are. That's not, I don't care where you are right now. That's not who you are. You may not be, you may not have a dime to your name right now, but I want to tell you, you're blessed and you're prosperous. Not because Pastor Zach said it, because the Word of God says it. Thy Word is truth. Jesus spoke that. He said, thy word is true. John 17, 17. The word tells you who you are. So what is truth? It's him. He said, I'm alpha and I'm omega. And he put us in the middle of it. And because we're in the middle of it, there's no changing of God. Come on and stand to your feet with me tonight. Father, I thank you that you are leading us and guiding us into all truth. And I thank you that we are a people that are going to know the truth and we're going to live in the truth and we're going to be free by the truth and we're going to walk in all the privileges and the blessings of who you say we are and who you've declared to us to believe, be whether we feel it or not. I believe that and decree that over this people tonight and that we're going to stay free from sin. We're going to stay free from guilt and shame and all that stuff that sin wants to bring on us. God, I declare your truth over your people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good night, everybody. God bless.